the Girl Crush Podcast. Some theme music. We'll be your Sandra Bullock source. I love the range of movies that she's in. Her eyebrows, they're amazing. She's very striking features. Fast male co-star, quirky little personality. She's got real tears at multiple parts in this movie. Oh yeah. Key Sandra Bullock physical comedy. Powerful woman. I mean, she's a boss the whole movie. I'm just all in. Rom-com. Brilliant. Smart. Five out of five. Hello and welcome to the Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Anne. We're obsessed with Sandra Bullock, so we're watching all of her movies and ranking them. If you want to give us your own thoughts, be sure to connect with us on Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod. And as always, be sure to rate and review. Today we are talking about the movie Murder by Numbers, and this movie was released in 2002. Sandra Bullock plays a detective named Cassie Mayweather. You can rent this movie on Amazon, and it is about the investigation of a murder of a Jane Doe, and Detective Cassie is investigating her two prime suspects, which are two wealthy, lonely teenage boys. We should include a suicide trigger warning. That's a big topic of this movie, so if that is triggering to you, you might want to skip this one or skip to the end of the episode. Also, before we get started, want to say Anne is in Chicago with me. I know. It's weird. It's so weird. Yeah, we're so used to recording over FaceTime. So I can't look at you. I know. It's like (laughs) we're so close, but it's great. And if our sound is a little bit different this episode, it's because we're recording differently. So we'll make it as good as we can, obviously, but there might be some slight differences from our typical episodes. Yes. Okay. Um, Yeah. If you want to go watch this movie, you can rent it on Amazon. I think it's maybe worth the watch. Yeah. It's interesting. Some good plot twists. It's a young Ryan Gosling. Yeah. What's not to love? Right. There's a stunning red jacket the entire movie. So... Yeah, if you want to go watch it and you're into, like, murder mysteries, I would pause and go watch. But otherwise, here's your spoiler alert. Today's episode is brought to you by Wander and Ivy, a certified woman-owned business that sells premium single-serve organic wines. Each bottle is a perfect 6.3-ounce pour, which is perfect if you're like me and don't often finish a whole bottle before it goes bad. And it also comes in these beautiful glass bottles that can be recycled or repurposed. So you should check them out at wanderandivy.com or on Instagram at wanderandivy. And you can use code GIRLCRUSH for 15% off and free shipping, which is an amazing deal. Okay, so to start off with the plot, as a reminder, we rate this out of 10 points. We gave this plot a 7.75 out of 10. I was slightly surprised. I hadn't heard of this movie. Had you? No, I had not heard of it. And I, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by it, I yeah. think. I would yeah, say. agreed. Yeah. The movie opens, very dramatic opening credits, waves crashing into rocks. There's this little dilapidated house on the coast of a cliff. And we see two people on their knees committing suicide at the same time. Flash to high school, where we see baby Ryan Gosling, as we mentioned, in a philosophy class. And we also see a character, Justin Pendleton, who's played by Michael Pitt, giving a speech. And Ryan Gosling looks like very cool. Justin, on the other hand, looks like kind of a typical high school 90s stereotype of being like kind of the outcast. And Michael Pitt plays a character named Jimmy on Boardwalk Empire. If you've ever mm. watched that, he's like a main character in that. Oh, nice. I Is he related to Brad Pitt? No. I looked it up. It's apparently kind of a common misconception because they have some similar facial features. They do. But they are not related. That's a bummer for him. I know. So even though Justin and Richard, who's Ryan Gosling, appeared to be enemies in class, they're hanging out outside of class, like drinking absinthe. They seem to be kind of secretly friends. And Richard asks when they're going to destroy the world. And Justin says, soon. 
feel like a clear red flag indication that they're psychopaths is that they're drinking absinthe oh, together. Oh, yeah. Like, what, why that? What of kind all... of high school alcoholic <laughs> beverage is that? Yeah, seriously. Get you a bottle of Boone's Farm if you're going to do it. Burnett. Strawberry wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not the typical high school drink, I don't think. No, I don't think so. So Richard asks why they're not going to destroy the world tonight. And Justin's like, I have a biology experiment in the morning. <laughs> And Richard is like, we've planned this long enough. So he's really itching to do something bad here. Also, this is where we first see Ryan Gosling in this, like, red leather jacket. Mm -hmm. He's wearing an article of red clothing, like, in almost every scene in the movie. Yes. Which you have to imagine was purposeful. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Great red leather jacket. It is great. (laughs) So Ryan Gosling, Richard, real weirdo, holds this toy gun up to Pendleton, saying he wants to kill him and frame it as a suicide. And Justin's like, you'll never get away with it, and names evidence that would give him away, making it very clear that Justin is, like, a really smart kid. He's been investigating and reading up on crimes and how to commit a crime. And Richard, we learn, is definitely a rebel. He's involved in some drugs, etc. Cut to Sandy, who plays Cassie, and she's walking up to a crime scene in all black. She's a detective. She comes bearing Krispy Kreme donuts and a total boss attitude. Not sure I would bring Krispy Kremes to a murder scene, but I guess it's like another day on the job, you know? True, but also so stereotypical. Girls gotta eat. <laughs> I feel like Krispy Kreme is quintessential early 2000s. Oh, for sure. Like, we did not have one in our town, but if we were going up to the Chicago suburbs, like, and we got to go to Krispy Kreme, it was such a special treat. I think Krispy Kreme recently was giving away a free donut if you got your COVID vaccine. Uh, well, I did get my COVID vaccine. I would love a Krispy Kreme You want to go get right some now. donuts after this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's do yeah, it. We'll do it. Yeah. Okay. That sounds amazing. <laughs> also, Sandra has, of course, she has a ponytail. She's a detective. But she has like two side pieces hanging out that are like a little too long to feel like they would be comfortable bangs. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, doesn't she just want to tuck them behind her ears? Or just like flopping in her face. Yeah. yeah. I can't stand it. I, I would immediately have to tuck. Oh, yeah. I always have my hair tucked behind my ears. Yes. At least the front layers. Yeah. And then the rest is kind of cascades. It's right now bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> so Cassie and her partner, Sam, go walking through the woods, and they find vomit and very calmly smell it and bag it. Why would you smell it? You know I it's don't poo. know. Like, you already know like, what it is. What are you trying, trying to gather to from that? Figure out what they ate? <laughs> There's no reason. If I smelled the vomit, I would also vomit on it. Oh, yeah. Then you would destroy the evidence. Exactly. As a true crime fan, that would destroy the evidence. <laughs> I should know. I shouldn't <laughs> smell the vomit on a crime scene. I'm going to ruin it. Uh, <sighs> so, Cassie then comes upon a body of a woman wrapped in plastic. It's a Jane Doe at this point. Mm-hmm. Side note, we also see a little bit of Cassie's home life. She lives on a houseboat. No, hard pass. No way. Under no circumstances. I would like a regular house on solid land. I get so nauseous just like on the water. I don't know if I knew that about you. Oh, yeah. I get very seasick. Wow. I don't think I've gotten seasick, but I, I mean, I would just want a house. I don't really get the appeal. What is the point of the houseboat? I don't know. Lower rent? Where can you take it? You're on that one piece of water. Yeah. It's like worse than an RV. Oh, yeah. Right? I would think so. I would rather, I would rather live in an RV, I think. 
Houseboat just screams murder to me for some reason. Absolutely. I'm not sure why. It's creepy. I imagine, like, yeah, creepy fisherman vibes <laughs> in yeah. a houseboat. Probably. Not a fan. So she gets a letter from the California Parole Board that she's being summoned for a parole hearing for someone who'd been convicted of attempted kidnapping. And she seems to be really, really shook by this letter. She's at home looking through the case files, and she seems to get shaken up again. And we're led to believe maybe this parole hearing is kind of affecting her current job. Mm -hmm. And she falls asleep writing a letter to the parole board. She's looking at gruesome, grisly crime scene photos alone on her houseboat at night. Yes. And maybe that's why the houseboat is freaky, too. Like, it feels, it feels vulnerable. Like, it does. I don't know how secure where people dock their boats are. Like, I don't know how secure that is. And I don't know how secure a boat is. But, like, you could at least, someone could get on the boat. Right. Maybe there's a part that locks. But, like, like where she lives, I'm sure. It does but, seem, like, it seems very exposed. Yes, it seems very exposed. Ugh. Yeah, That's I don't a, like it. mm I could not. So next we see Cassie driving. She seems to stop at this random spot in the woods and she gets out and she like falls down a small ditch after she has this flashback. And the flashback is a scene where two cops find a body in a body bag at the same location, but the person turns out to still be alive. And it's kind of hazy. Like you don't really understand what exactly she's remembering. Yeah. And you can't see like who's who or anything like that. Right, right. So back to present day, the crime that they're investigating, they identify the Jane Doe as a woman named Olivia, and they're looking through her apartment, which is also a crime scene. And they do find a clock knocked to the floor, stuck at 927. So they have a little bit more information on the time of death, which was estimated to be between 9 and 10 on Thursday. Side note, I love little pieces of evidence like that. Like little clues. Little clues. Clock yeah. stopped at 927. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. So we get to know a little bit more about her character here. Cassie invites her partner, Sam, back to her houseboat, and they have a drink together, and he kind of seems to be feeling a little bit awkward. He, like, immediately wants to leave, but she keeps sitting closer and closer to him. She seems really into him, and they end up kissing, and he's, like, very hesitant about the whole thing, but she really insists, and she's like, it's just sex. I'm not going to be possessive, and eventually he agrees, and they sleep together. Little bit iffy to your work partner. Yeah, and she's like dicey situation. Uh, it's it's harassy. Yeah, yeah. I would say she is pu- definitely pushing him into this, even yeah. though he does not want to do it. Yeah. So I would say not a fan. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. And then they fall asleep, and she literally pushes <laughs> pushes him out of bed <laughs> in the middle of the she's night. Like, okay, go. Yeah, she's like, I need to get some good sleep so we can work tomorrow. Like, you have to go. <laughs> It's just a very weird situation. A little bit turned off from her character at this point. I know we don't know everything about her yet, but... But, like, classic Sandra Bullock character who is really committed to the job. Yes. She is emotionally distanced from other people. Classic. Yeah. So next we see Justin and Richard. They're burning this tarp. And Justin is doing a voiceover about the details, the fibers. He's saying uh, the cops won't be able to trace or match anything. And he's clearly done a ton of research. And he says that there's two hairs that do not belong to the victim. One human and one baboon hair, which are purposefully left behind. Where do you get a baboon hair? Seriously, like the most bizarre part of this plot, like a baboon hair. Right. They're like, we're just going to like mess with them to mess with them. Yeah, like get something totally out of left field. Right. 
And Justin knows how the cops will end up describing the killer. Like, he's like, they're going to look for someone who's intelligent, someone who lives alone. And essentially, we're seeing that they're framing somebody else for murder. Mm -hmm. And as they're describing everything, they're burning evidence. They're burning the research books that they've used to help them come up with this whole plan. Mm -hmm. Somehow, the cops get turned on to Richard. There's, like, this shoe print. Seems like maybe that was the clue that led them to Richard. So Cassie and her partner go to school to interview him and ask where he was Thursday night. And he has an alibi. He was at a study session Thursday night to Friday morning. And while they're asking him questions, he's like flirting with Cassie. It's very off-putting. Remember, he's in high school. And they show him a pair of very expensive shoes and ask him about them. And he's like, yeah, I reported those shoes stolen three weeks ago. Did you find them? And they said that the shoe prints that they found at the scene of the murder match those shoes. And they look into it, and they find out that his story about the shoes getting stolen was actually true. So, you know, he's thought of everything, I guess. I guess so. They also talk to the other kids who are at the study group who corroborate his story. And they say, like, the only time he left, he was gone for 15 minutes to make a stop at an ATM for pizza. Like, that's it. And Cassie is still really, really suspicious of him. But Sam, her partner, is like, we just should rule him out. He has an alibi. We see that Richard had actually recorded the conversation that he had with Cassie and Sam, and he plays it back to Justin, and they're, like, laughing about it. And Richard really played it up with the detectives and had told them, like, he'd cooperate however he could. So he thinks, like, I got them under, like, I got them under control. He definitely has that, like, charming narcissist personality. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like, you can see psychopath in the making. If the red leather jacket... (laughs) didn't clue you into yes. that right away and then the absence this yep. would be your third red flag yes exactly yeah <laughs> so the police go to get the atm photo of richard and enhance it and they confirm it's him so his story is lying right now and her supervisors don't want her to pursue richard because he has this alibi and his family is really wealthy and she gets super mad that they won't let her run her case how she wants mm-hmm Her superiors, though, tell her that she's getting way too involved with the case. They realize she's calling the victim by her first name and kind of indicating to them that she's identifying a lot with the victim when really she should be identifying with the killer to try to find out who the killer is. Mm -hmm. So kind of a red flag to them. Yeah. We see Cassie back at home watching TV on the couch. She has this blanket wrapped around her shoulders, like total mood, probably all of us during the pandemic. Yes. And (laughs) Sam comes over. He apologizes for not backing her up in front of their supervisors and she eventually accepts his apology and like immediately starts flirting with him again and he gets like very frustrated with her attitude and just leaves Mm -hmm. meanwhile justin is with his classmate lisa who he's helping with physics and he seems to have a crush on her he like leads her with her eyes closed into a greenhouse it's kind of a cute scene and he kisses her and we also see like richard watching from the trees like in his red blazer (laughs) Like, so creepy. So creepy. He's literally in a tree. In a tree. Watching them. Like a real psycho. (laughs) Fourth red flag, I guess. Fourth red flag. Yeah. (laughs) So the next morning, Cassie wakes up to a collect call from Carl Hudson, the inmate that she was asked to go to the parole hearing for. And she immediately hangs up and seems to be experiencing some PTSD. So Sam calls and tells her that the vomit at the body site showed some evidence of caviar. So Cassie goes from restaurant to restaurant looking for who serves caviar. (laughs) Have you had caviar? No. Have you? Yeah. Is it just like salty eggs? Yeah, it's... I don't actually like it. I don't think I would like it. No, it's not terrible, but it's very weird. 
it doesn't taste like food. It just tastes like salty, kind of rubbery. I don't like capers, so I don't think I, I'd I like don't caviar. like capers either. Yeah. I no. like olives, though. Mm, I don't like olives either. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I'd like caviar. I think people eat it just to say they Feel eat fancy. it. Feel yeah. fancy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Fish eggs. It's <clears throat> gross. So she finds a place that serves caviar, and they say that Justin came in the night of the murder alone. So Cassie finds Justin at school, asks him about the dinner that night, asks if he's had caviar, asks if he's friends with Richard, and he says no and calls Richard a bully. But Justin's acting kind of nervous here. Like, she's clearly asking a lot about Richard and going for that sort of information, Mm -hmm. but he kind of reacts like because he he did something. He's, like, kind of giving information that she hasn't even asked for, like, seeming very suspicious. Yeah. So her superior calls and reveals that Sam is now in charge of the case. And obviously this upsets Cassie. They've named a suspect, Raymond, who's the school janitor and Richard's drug dealer, as the killer. Sam says he matches the profile exactly, lives alone, etc. But Cassie sees some inconsistencies, so she's not convinced. And... Sam's frustrated, and he's like, after we close this case, we should get new partners. Sorry, Cassie. (laughs) So Cassie's still investigating. She goes to the bathroom at the janitor's trailer where he lives, and she, she hears a big noise coming from a shed. So she goes in to investigate, and lo and behold, what does she find? Nothing but a baboon. In the shed. In the shed. Who freaks out because it's being held captive in a shed <laughs> and bites her. Where does someone even get a baboon? I have no idea. Just what? They seem like frightening monkeys. I agree. They're the ones with the butts, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite zoo animals to see if I go to the zoo. <sighs> so <laughs> we also see her flashback to the crime scene that we saw before. And we see that she was the one that was mistakenly put in a body bag when she was still alive. Oh, so scary. (sighs) So we go back to Justin and Richard. Justin arrives home that evening to find Richard waiting for him. And Richard confronts Justin really aggressively, like grabs his throat, asking what he did with Lisa and if he told her anything about them. And Justin tells him that they kissed and Richard seems relieved. So he hands Justin this tape and he leaves. And Justin watches the tape and it's Richard and Lisa having sex. And Justin is like really disturbed by this. He likes this girl. He starts to cry like his friend has let him down. How twisted of Richard. So twisted. And Richard tells Justin, he's like, I had to do it. I had to show you what she was really like. Like, you deserve better. I'm the only person that really cares about you. He loves to twist things where he's the victim. Yes, exactly. And it's like such an abuser move. Like, it just all red flags. And it's kind of weird to see it played out in terms of him doing that to his friend, like manipulating his friend that way. I feel like you see that a lot in romantic relationships. Yeah. So it's kind of like an interesting way to show that sort of abusive personality. Yeah. It's honestly sad. Yeah, it's super sad. Yeah, you feel really sad for Justin. Yeah, totally. Like he's being completely manipulated. Mm Mm-hmm. And Richard tells him that the janitor, Raymond, is a suspect, so he's like, we're almost in the clear. Mm Mm-hmm. So Richard sneaks into Raymond's place. (laughs) Richard has like a full hazmat suit on. He's a saran wrap on his head, goggles, presumably to stop his DNA from getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. And Raymond wakes up and recognizes him. And Richard's like... How would you recognize that? (laughs) True. (laughs) Yeah, he's like in a full hazmat suit. Yeah. And Richard's like, I brought something to help you sleep. 
And then he shoots him in the head and stages it like as if it was a suicide. So next we see Lisa talks to Justin at school, but he gives her the tape and calls her a slut and she slaps him. So he's just totally taking Richard's word for it. Yeah. He's just blaming Lisa. Yeah. And I don't know that we ever get to see what actually happened between Lisa and Richard. Like how they came to. I mean, he's so manipulative. You have to assume he just snuck his way in there. Yeah. Yeah. He's a charming little snake. Right. So Cassie, after her after her baboon bite, <laughs> is in the hospital. And Sam has been very sweet. He's been with her all night. And he said he found all the evidence and then tells her that Ray committed suicide the night before. But Cassie's still unconvinced. And she, like, literally disconnects herself from the hospital machine so she can go investigate more. Classic. Classic. But Sam and Cassie get in an argument. And he's like, you're obsessed with Richard. Like, our bosses think you're losing it basically like telling her she's messing everything up and she decides to continue to investigate on her own. So she goes to Richard's house, steals his trash and replaces it with a fake bag. And she runs DNA on the trash in like the middle of the night, sneaking into the precinct or whatever. Mm -hmm. And her supervisor comes in and asks what she's doing. And he's like, the case is closed. Like we have all the evidence. It was Raymond. He committed suicide. Like you shouldn't be doing anything else. And he's fed up with her and he escorts her out of the building. Cassie continues to investigate on her own. She's tailing Richard. She sees him and Justin briefly interact. And she's calling Sam, who doesn't answer, when all of a sudden, Richard taps on her window. Oh my gosh. This is like a jump scene a little bit. Because it just totally takes you by surprise. And I think as a woman who has sat in in her car in the dark, even with the doors locked, if that happened to me, I would freak out. Oh, absolutely. I, I can't freak even imagine out. what I do. Ugh. Drive away. Run yeah. them over. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> and he's very casual. He's like asks her what she's doing there. He's flirting with her, like very ballsy for this high school kid. Yes. And he tries to kiss her. Like the narcissism from this like 17-year-old. I can't remember if she's gotten out of the car or if he's like leaning into the car. I can't remember either. I think she gets out to talk to him. Yeah. And then I think she gets back in. Yeah. Because she realizes maybe the situation is not going so well. Mm Mm-hmm. So she avoids the kiss and starts to ask him about Raymond, but he tries kissing her more aggressively. So I think this is the point where she gets back in the car Mm. and he, like, reaches for her keys. (laughs) Because she, like, opens the door and slams it into his head, basically, to stop him Mm -hmm. from doing that. Good for her. Yeah, good for her. But it's really off-putting here because she's really tough the whole movie. Like, we see those moments of her having some PTSD, but in front of other people, like, she's really tough. So it's, like, a little bit off-putting and kind of sad to see her in such a vulnerable state right here. And it Mm -hmm. kind of, like, reminds you of, sadly, as a woman, things that you have to deal with. Yeah, she's still... No matter how powerful and strong she is, she's still able to be put into a situation like that. Yeah, yeah, where she's scared and alone and there's a threatening guy there. By a freaking teenager. Right, who she thinks is a murderer. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So Cassie goes to Sam's house and tries to tell him about the evidence that she's found. And we find out that Richard's dad accused Cassie of hitting Richard in the face, assaulting him. And so he called the cops on her. And Cassie is really frustrated, begs Sam to talk to their bosses because she has this evidence against the kids. And she's like, 
I don't want this to happen again. Mm -hmm. And her theory is that Justin and Richard pretty much don't have parents. Like their parents are out of the picture, not very involved. Maybe they bonded over the fact that they felt like they didn't matter and that killing someone would empower them and for whatever reason would make them matter more. So Cassie does some experiments trying to figure out how the crime scene came to be. And she's using like a smashed clock, a sprinkler system, and she thinks she's figured out how they did it. So Cassie's supervisor is really upset with her, but finally agrees to bring the kids in for questioning because Cassie paid for a DNA study out of her own pocket money. And turns out the vomit at the crime scene was a 100% match to Justin's DNA. So hard to deny that. Caviar puke, don't lie. (laughs) True. (laughs) So they bring the kids in for questioning. Cassie's questioning Justin. She reads the school essay that he wrote to him about crimes of passion and asks him if he believes what he wrote. And she tells him about the vomit. Meanwhile, Sam asks Richard how they picked their victim. And we see a flashback to Justin and Richard just driving around looking at women trying to decide which one to pick up as their victim. That's horrifying. Honestly, one of the scariest thoughts. Right? Yeah. Oh, I don't like that. No. So... Sam brings up Raymond and talks about the fibers that they planted, asking him why he killed his friend. Mm -hmm. And Cassie basically figured out that Richard must have been at Olivia, the victim's house, earlier than the clock showed that night, and that he must have set everything up to make the crime seem like it happened at a different time. That way, he had an alibi. Mm -hmm. And Justin was the one who must have dumped the body and planted the fibers because of the puke. Right. (laughs) So... Cassie is trying to convince Justin to confess. She's like, look, Richard's the one who actually committed the murders. You're an accessory. Like, basically turn on Richard and your sentence will be lower. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't think he's going to crack. So Sam is continuing to interrogate Richard and brings up Lisa, which was a good thing to do because it really gets under Richard's skin. And right when Richard is about to start talking, a lawyer walks in who was sent by Richard's dad and says they either need to charge him or let him go. I still think it is notable, though, that, like, Richard's dad does not show up. Yes. He just sends a lawyer. He just sends a lawyer. Right. He's, like, all money, no emotion. Like, his, he's not there for his son. Right. Yeah, totally. So then we see Cassie and Sam talking, and Sam tells Cassie that he knows about Carl Hudson, the felon who's going to be out on parole. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Cassie may be projecting from that situation onto this current case. Mm-hmm. And Cassie confides in Sam about the situation. Turns out she married this guy, Carl, when she was 16. Nope. And then tried to leave him when she was 18, but he assaulted her. And he said if she tried again, he'd kill her. But she left again, saying it wasn't about getting away from him. It was about standing up to him. And he ended up stabbing her 17 times and dumping her body because he thought he killed her. And that was that flashback that she had. (gasps) I cannot imagine. I literally can't imagine. So horrible. Scary. So Cassie says she's not going to go to the parole hearing. She's like, I made a deal that the old me died then, and I knew, like, I don't want anything to do with it. But Sam is like, you're not actually free of him. You, you live your life afraid of him. It's clearly affecting things. And he thinks that she should go and get some closure. How messed up that that guy would ever even be up for parole? It's insane. Stabbed her 17 times. Thought no. you'd killed her. Dumped her body. You should be shut away for life. Right. Crazy. Ugh. Mm-mm. So Richard calls the police station, talks to the DA, and he's like, yeah, Justin and I were talking about it. Like, I, I thought it was just a game. And then Justin actually did it. 
So he's turned on Justin, trying to make it seem like the whole thing is Justin. Yeah. So Cassie gets a warrant on both boys right away. You see Richard fleeing, and Justin is also gone. Hilariously, Nick Offerman (laughs) is a police officer in this movie. Not a comedic role. No. Just a rando police officer. Yeah, we were like, is that Nick Offerman? (laughs) So weird to know what his previous roles were before he really landed in comedy. Totally. It's hilarious. Oh, so odd. So he tells Cassie to take a look at something downstairs at Richard's house. And through this small hole in the wall, Cassie can see this creepy little room in the basement (sighs) with a bed. And there's also a videotape wrapper that she grabs. Ugh. So... Justin goes to Lisa's house, tells her that they killed someone. Why would you do that? Justin, what are you doing? What are you doing? Ugh. And she is way too calm about it. She really is. She just accepts it. She's like, oh, okay, well, it was Richard's fault. <laughs> like, it wasn't you. Red flag for Lisa. Seriously. Lisa, run. <laughs> but she's encouraging him to tell the truth, saying Richard basically roped him into all of this. So Richard calls Justin And he suspects that Justin told Lisa. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I'm going away forever. Meet me at the bluff in an hour. And Justin tells Lisa he has to meet him and goes. And Lisa panics and calls Cassie. How does she have her phone number? Right. Like, she's just Mm -hmm. on speed dial. Right. I'm going to call my pal. Yeah. But I guess, I don't know. Good on Lisa. So at the house on the bluff, Richard gives Justin a gun. And he's like, this is what we talked about. Glory or nothing. So they recite this voiceover about a suicide crime pact, and they point the guns to their heads and count to three. So this is the scene we saw at the very beginning of the movie. Right, exactly. So they count to three, and neither of them shoot themselves. But Justin shoots into the air and then points the gun at Richard. And he's like, open the chamber of your gun. And he sees that Richard had no bullets in the chamber. Richard is a straight-up psychopath. Psycho. So he was going to watch Justin commit suicide and essentially be able to pin everything on him. Mm-hmm. Oh. So Richard sees Cassie's car approaching and really leans into egging Justin on mm-hmm. to play up his own innocence, trying to get under Justin's skin, and Justin does eventually turn the gun on himself. And Cassie walks in right then, urges him to put the gun down and he eventually does and Richard grabs the gun Justin had put down and shoots at Cassie. Justin jumps in front of Cassie and gets shot in the arm. So surprising move by Justin here. And then there's the shootout between Cassie and Richard Mm -hmm. chase scene and eventually Richard drags Cassie out onto this balcony of this very dilapidated building hanging her over the edge in a chokehold terrifying the most terrifying also i love this whole last scene that we're going into here because there's so many twists like in the next five minutes of the movie there are there's so many yeah oh so good the railing is about to give way when cassie musters up her energy knees richard and basically gets herself up and tosses richard over the edge he licks her face it's so weird like, as he's about to fall, he licks her face. Why? What a psychopath. What a creepy thing to do. And whose idea? Like, who wrote this? And was like, and then, Ryan, you will lick Sandra's face. Right? I'm like, did they just shoot that? And that was him, like, screwing around to be super weird. And yeah, they were and like, they were like that perfect. <laughs> That's exactly what the a sociopath yeah, would do. Exactly. Or whatever uh, disorder he has. Yeah. yeah. So then the whole balcony is starting to fall. It's hanging off by a thread and Cassie's hanging off the edge. 
And Justin has come to the window now, and he's standing there, seeming like he's thinking about letting her fall. But eventually, he grabs a banister railing, tosses it down to her, or like Mm -hmm. lowers it down to her and helps her up. Mm -hmm. And she crawls up to safety. And Justin's like, what's going to happen to me? And Cassie says, since he wasn't the actual killer, and he helped save her, she'll take care of him. As they're getting cleaned up afterwards, Cassie is examining her neck and seems to realize something. Sam walks in and fakes something about finding a videotape, and she tells Justin that they found a hidden camera, and the DA is looking at it now because Mm -hmm. she's now being suspicious, so Mm -hmm. she wants to see what he'll say. Mm -hmm. So Justin starts to get really nervous. He's like, I didn't know there was a camera. I need a lawyer. And Cassie says she thought it had been Richard manipulating Justin, but... It actually seems to be it was the other way around. Ah! You spent this whole movie hating Richard. Yes. Turns out the reason she thought this is because there were marks on Cassie's neck from Richard's ring when Richard had her in this chokehold. Mm-hmm. And they did not match the marks on the victim's neck, mm-hmm. the initial victim. So she realizes she'd been wrong about everything. So we see the initial crime scene. Both boys were there arguing about who was going to kill her. And Richard taunts Justin, basically saying, like, fine, I'll do it. So eventually Justin is the one who commits the murder. So Justin admits to the killing, begging Cassie for a chance since he saved her. Side note, Cassie's real name, we learn, is Jessica Hudson. She does go to Carl Hudson's parole hearing and, after hesitating, walks in confidently. And that's how the movie ends. Ugh. I love the twists in this at the end. Like, you just don't know who is the worst one of the two. Yeah, and ultimately, like, it's a cliffhanger I'm kind of okay with. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, we don't get a ton of, I don't know, background, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I would have liked more background, just to especially know, like, how did Richard and Justin become friends? Because they are such an unlikely pair. Yeah, like, how did that start? And then how did they come up with this idea? Right, right. Agreed, yeah. Especially because this is based on the Leopold and Loeb murder here in Chicago. Yeah. In, like, the early 1900s. Right. So... I feel like they could have added a little bit more depth because they know how those two got together. Yeah. The one thing I think about the plot that could have been a little bit better is it was told from Cassie's perspective, which was cool. We got to hear a lot about her backstory and why this crime resonated with her. Mm -hmm. But I feel like because of that and the detail that they had to spend giving her story, we didn't get as much into the background of Richard and Justin. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love having like Sandra Bullock focus, I think it could have been almost two separate movies. Like, Mm -hmm. they could have done a whole movie on Sandra's character and her background as a cop trying to deal with this past trauma. And then they could have done a separate movie only about these murders and really gone into more depth about their background. I I still liked it how it was. I think her character's journey would make a really good, like, TV show or limited series. Mm, Yes, so true. That'd be fun. Yeah, that's a cool concept. Yeah. I like it. I don't know if this is a positive or negative thing, but Ryan Gosling, unfortunately, really pulls off serial killer vibes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I was surprised at that because I could see kind of like a Jake Gyllenhaal playing a role like this. Yes. But Ryan Gosling is kind of like, we're used to him being the heartthrob. So it's kind of cool to see him, especially when he's so young, playing such a crazy character. But he still is kind of a heartthrob in its own twisted way. Yeah, like you get why he's able to manipulate people, because he does have that charm to him. He does. Which is so creepy. Yeah. (sighs) Thank God Ryan Gosling uses his charm for good and not evil. Oh, so true. Can you imagine? Oh, man. (laughs) 
Lovely. Who do you think was the actual mastermind behind it? That's a good question. I think that Richard is a true sociopath slash psychopath. But I think Justin was maybe the more like burdened person. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I honestly don't know who the mastermind was. What do you think? I think it probably started with Justin because he does seem so troubled. Yes. And Richard probably just exploited the opportunity. Because he's a sociopath. And and very manipulative. Yeah. And it just kind of like tumbled from there. Yeah. Like a snowball effect. Yeah. And I do think like you can tell with Justin, he is so desperate to be liked. Mm Mm-hmm. By Richard, by Lisa. Yes. So I I feel like once the plan was underway, there was no way he was not going to go through with it because he did not want to lose Richard. Right. Like, he's like, I need to prove myself or prove my worth. Right. To this crazy guy who's, like, on board with this. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. Because he was smart enough to get away with it. Right. Yeah. And I think Justin was in a very vulnerable position emotionally. Mm -hmm. which is why he was able to be manipulated by Richard. And Richard kind of took advantage of that and, like, all of a sudden, like, played out these psychopathic fantasies. Yeah. I can't remember whenever we actually see the flashback to the scene, though, Mm. if Justin is being very manipulative or harsh on Richard. Like, if the script really was flipped. No, I think Richard really was egging him on, if I remember right. I think Justin was, like, unsure if he could actually go through with the murder. Mm -hmm. And Richard was the one who was like, okay, well, then I'll do it. Like, stop being such a baby. Mm -hmm. And that's when Justin was like, fine, I'll do it. And then... Totally get him to do it. Yeah, I think he, like, manipulated him to do that. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I liked it. I I was impressed with the plot. Me too. I'm surprised more people don't talk about this movie. Me too. I don't really understand the title. Me neither. I think maybe they were going for the fact that they researched the murder Uh and it was like very calculated how they were going to get away with it, but it could have just been called How to Get Away with Murder, show that came way later than this. (laughs) That's true. But as I'm talking about it, I'm like, that would would be a better name. It would. Yeah. Because murder by numbers obviously makes you think of paint by numbers, which is a much more calm activity. I thought of math. I was like, there's going to be something with math. Oh, I thought of arts and crafts. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, it's neither. It's neither. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. There are other movies, though, that are based loosely or mm-hmm. based off of the Leopold and Loeb murder. There was a play in 1929, an Alfred Hitchcock movie, both by the name of Rope. Hmm. A 1959 movie called Compulsion. A movie in 1992 called Swoon. And then this one was in 2002. Interesting. And then finally people thought, well, we've done enough with that one. (laughs) Maybe we'll get another one in a few years. (laughs) Maybe. They're like, one more. We'll revisit it. (laughs) It is an interesting concept. And like, I mean, the fact that it's based on a true story, which is really messed Mm, up. Yeah. The background on the murder is very messed up. Yeah, I do think it would be interesting to get more of the psychological aspect of it. But that tends to be the part of true crime that I really like. Yeah. So, yeah. 7.75. Yeah, pretty good. really specific here. Mm -hmm. We gave Cassie, Sandra Bullock's character, a score of 7.5 out of 10. Mm -hmm. She's a complicated character. Yeah. Right? Like, we really didn't like how she treated Sam, Mm -hmm. but clearly that is, like, coming from repressed trauma. Right. Um, Once you learn the rest of the story, it's like you can understand why she is the way that she is. 
Yeah. And she is very strong, like we said earlier, very calm, cool, collected, but she does have those moments of really vulnerable humanness. Like, yes. With Richard, you're able to see a totally different side of her that is just like, woman accosted in a car. Like, what do you do? Right. And I think at the end of the day, her PTSD, while it needs to be dealt with, also makes her so committed to the case. Yes, totally. She will not give up until she gets it right, which mm-hmm. there's probably an unhealthy balance to that at yeah. some point. But it also just makes her like a very likable detective. Too. Right, right. Because you know she's going to go above and beyond to solve the crime. Because she would have wanted someone to do that for her. Exactly. Yeah. This is totally, like, her character in this is reminiscent to me of, like, SVU, which I love. Mm -hmm. Kind of like any type of cop show, I feel like there's always one character who's willing to sort of ignore some of the protocols and the rules in Mm -hmm. order to get the truth. Mm -hmm. And, like, kind of questioning that, like, is justice the truth or is justice following the rules and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I feel like that's kind of a cool thing if we did get more of her backstory or, like you said, if there was, like, a show about her, that would be a really cool thing to explore. Yeah, I think Cassie Mayweather and Olivia Benson would be... Best pals. I think you're right. I think they would butt heads at first, and then they would be best pals. Yeah. So true. Yes. I'd love to see that crossover episode. Let's write it. (laughs) Add it to our backlog of of scripts we need to write. Right. (laughs) Well, maybe we need to hire writers. We'll be just pitch ideas. Yeah. So for Sandra Bullock's acting, we rated it a 7 out of 10. So pretty solid score here. Mm -hmm. I think it's good, especially for being the early 2000s. This is, I feel like, the start of the rise of her career. Mm -hmm. So I think it was solid. She's calm most of the time, but then there's these few moments where she gets to show a lot of emotion, and I think she did a good job of that. Mm -hmm. So I think when she gets accosted at the car and, like, seeing her react to that, I thought was really good. Like, Mm -hmm. she was sort of putting on this front of being really strong, but you could tell that she was scared underneath. Yeah. And then when she's having those moments of PTSD, she's reading the letters about the parole hearing, mm-hmm. she's clearly visibly shaken. There's points where she's tearful, she's scared. I think it's good. Yeah, I think it's good too. Even even though I don't really like these moments when she's like teasing Sam mm-hmm. or flirting with him yeah. at her house... The acting is very good. It okay. doesn't come off as oversold. It's just, it seems very genuine. Yeah. So I think her acting there is really solid. And yeah, just the moments that she does show a range of emotions is really good. But I would say, I don't think her acting is the thing I take away from this no. movie. Agreed. It was solid. Like, she did the job she was supposed to do. Yeah. But it didn't blow me away. Right. I'm more enamored with Ryan Gosling in this movie. Agreed. His acting is incredible. So creepy. So creepy. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. Enamored is a good word for it. Thanks. And I'm not just enamored because it's Ryan Gosling. Right. I'm enamored because he acts like a true psychopath. (laughs) And I'm worried at how well he did it. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) We did give her a two out of two for a boss babe score, though. Yeah. I I mean, mean, really goes above and beyond. She solves the crime. Mm -hmm. That moment of her, like, hanging off the edge of the balcony, like... She was able to overtake Richard, Mm -hmm. calm Justin down enough to have him save her. Mm -hmm. Very impressive. Also, the fact that she pulls off a pleather coat, a cowl neck sweater, and tube socks in this movie really would have taken her to a two out of two (laughs) anyway, even if she were, like, working at the grocery store. Totally. (laughs) To be honest, it's just impressive. Totally agree. (laughs) It's amazing. (sighs) So, for Would You Watch Again, we rated this a 3 out of 5. Yeah. 
Um, I'm torn, I think. Yeah. Like, I think if you are a Sandra Bullock fan or even, like, a murder mystery fan, this would be a good movie to watch. Yeah. It's a good story. We just ruined all the plot twists for you, but it's still, it's still good. Yeah. And our original plot notes for this movie was, like, several pages longer than what we did. So yeah, there's a lot that happens yeah. that we didn't even cover. So... I think it's definitely worth watching it. Weird, though, because we watched the trailer right before we recorded this episode. The trailer makes it look way scarier than I think it actually is. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a scary movie person. And watching the trailer, I was like, was this movie terrifying? (laughs) Right. It's not. No, like, there's some moments where there's a couple, like, jumpy moments or a couple... Creepy moments. Creepy, like, where you feel on edge. But it's not that way necessarily the whole movie. Right. I mean, she gets bit by a baboon. You have to laugh at that. (laughs) So I, I would not... Don't base whether you'd like it off the trailer base it more off the summary I think yes agreed yeah yeah I think we were both kind of torn on this one yeah Uh, but also this is kind of like if SVU were a movie so Mm -hmm. I'm like sure it's suspenseful yes exactly yeah kind of like gong girl yeah ish yeah vibes agreed yeah so to review we gave the plot of murder by numbers a 7.75 out of 10 Sandra Bullock's character Cassie a 7.5 out of 10 her acting a 7 out of 10 a Boss Babe score of 2 out of 2, and a Would You Watch Again score of 3 out of 5, bringing this to a total score of 27.25 points, meaning that Murder by Numbers is ranked number 20 of all Sandra Bullock movies. Pretty yeah. strong. It is pretty strong, considering we had never heard of it. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. Yeah. Ryan Gosling's performance, incredible. Sandra Bullock, solid performance. Great story. Wish I got a little bit more of a psychological thrill aspect of it or psychological mm-hmm. info, mm-hmm. but I liked it. I did too. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by this one. Totally. Yeah. Anything else? No. Cool. As always, thanks for listening to the Girl Crush Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on today's movie. You can find us on Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod. You can also email us at podcastgirlcrush at gmail.com or check out our website at girlcrushpodcast.com. Tune in next time when we'll be talking about Sandra Bullock's first movie ever, (laughs) the worst movie of all time, (laughs) Hangman. First movie, worst movie. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be a good one. It is. Bye. Bye.